0: This is the Grind, Sell and Elevate podcast by Tizer Evans, where we do a deep dive on how to stay driven, how to be a top tier salesperson and how to elevate the quality of your life everybody thanks for tuning in today to the grind sell elevate podcast my name is ty evans today i sit down and talk with paul rupert who's a strategy consultant for global point limited so we talk about sales management leadership startups a really great well-rounded conversation with paul if you guys haven't done so please subscribe to the podcast if you could drop me a five-star review it makes it easier for other people to find and I'll- Thanks everybody for joining me on Grind, Sell and Elevate. Uh, This is Tyzer Evans and I'm joined by Paul Rupert today. We're gonna be talking about some sales and some strategy, maybe some leadership and management. Paul, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Good to be here, Ty. Thank you very much for the opportunity to have a conversation with you and to have a conversation with your audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm More than happy to have you. I love talking about sales, uh, obviously. <laughs> so, I said, you know,
0: we, I can jump into some weird verticals sometimes. So I think it's fun. It's you know fascinating to talk to uh, all different types of people. But sales is always my favorite.
1: Indeed, indeed. So,
0: so Paul, why don't you just give us a little bit about your background, who you are, and what you've done.
1: Wow, well, it would take a a long time. Um, (laughs) I have over 20 years experience in the telecommunications, media, and technologies uh, space, specifically now in messaging, otherwise known as SMS to the general public, and CPaaS solutions. And CPaaS stands for Communications Platform as a Service. Uh, My functional expertise spans not only sales, uh, but also product development, global growth scaling, and corporate strategy, including having had uh, direct involvement in framing the investment thesis in over 10 acquisitions and merger integrations spanning 6 million to 66 billion dollars. I've held executive roles inside AT&T as a product product development director, uh, as well as within some of the more noteworthy companies in my space, uh, which include Cineverse, Cinch and SAP Digital Connect. These are not household names, um, but they're integral to how mobile messaging as well as how mobile network operators interop with each other. Um, Specific to the sales focus of your podcast. I've built out revenues and sales teams across borders and cultures, uh, driving upwards of $170 million in B2B sales. Uh, I've actually conducted business in 80 countries and managed teams of teams focusing on revenue production, marketing, technical pre-sales, the whole nine yards, um, both in very large companies as well as ranked cockroach startups as I've characterized them before. Yeah, I like that.
0: Um, I would love to hear about your experience, what it was like. Um, we had referenced the company you scaled to 500 million within five years. How was that experience for you?
1: Sure. So I came into a firm. Uh, that I was introduced to by a venture capitalist that I knew. And um, this was a breakthrough technology that enabled text messaging to flow from what's called the native GSM radio format, which was primarily in Europe and outside of the United States at the time. The time frame we're talking about is in the late 90s and early 2000s. And his vision was um, obviously the upside of the opportunity. And he then came to me and said, look, I'm going to be presenting a term sheet to a company in terms of their fundraising and I don't think they recognize that there's a bigger market offshore than there is onshore and he and I had known each other for a number of years when I was inside uh, AT&T as a mobile network operator one of the roles that I had is a job called International Roaming Director and what that is uh, then as well as today is the guy who negotiates all the b2b contracts between operators all around the world so if you were getting off a flight in london after leaving let's say austin texas where you're from and you were a verizon customer originally you would not have been able to have your phone work Um, and this company was able to provide that what's called interconnectivity in the space And so I came in, um, made a presentation to the board, uh, kind of blowing their minds as to, here's what you can be doing, and it's how how it would be accretive in the long-term strategy, and here's how I can help. And so I was brought in to uh, essentially run international sales, which was everything outside of the U.S. and Canada. And uh, five years later, I had built that down to about a $65 million revenue stream out of about 120 total revenues in the company. And we had also decided not to do an IPO because we had a a visionary named John Chen, who was then the CEO and founder of a company called Sybase, which was well known in the customer relationship management uh, arena back then. Um, And he came to us and said, we'd like to acquire you guys and integrate your technology into what we do and uh, timing was right investors were right and that's why we decided to yeah let's go do this it was a different time as well in terms of benign financing as it is right now and uh, quick to ipo dynamics weren't in existence at that point but that was the experience
0: awesome well thank you for sharing that um you know having sold in over 80 different countries to me which is fascinating uh, because there's, you know, <laughs> I, always was joked that I've, I, I, I'm a California native, so I've sold in California. Then I lived in Atlanta for several years. So I've sold in the Southeast and then I'm in Texas. Now I sell in sure. Texas and Louisiana, which is definitely its own country. Um, So, you know, just just within uh, the United States, you know, uh, there's so many different varying degrees of how culturally you have to talk to people in order to build uh, some type of common rapport and trust. So, what was your experience like now? I mean, is there a specific tactics you'd look at entering a new market or a new country with how to approach it correctly? I had a
1: genetic advantage. Uh, I was privileged enough that um, I'm half French and so when i was a child uh, beginning when i was five years old my mother used to take me back to france Mm. uh, for anywhere from four to six weeks and did that until i was 16. so that gave me a perspective of uh, beyond what i was accustomed to being a suburban kid kid from cleveland ohio and um you know initially it was just going to france to see my grandparents and where my mother happened to be a um, of all things, a cosmetics salesperson uh, for Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Arden. And uh, so she would go back to France for training because it was a good opportunity for her to be able to do that in her home country, if you will. Sure. Um, And that's how I got exposed to that a little bit differently in terms of looking at the world a little bit differently instead of this is the way the world works. From my venue, my perspective. Uh, and then beyond that, it was oddly enough, um, I sold stereos, putting myself through college, my last two years of college. And I did it very effectively. So anybody who was walking into the door, you know, spanned a number of different races, cultures, uh, economic strata, interests in terms mm-hmm. of why they were buying a stereo. And uh, I did that very well, uh, turned it around, turned my my financial circumstances around so that I could pay for my tuition. And those were two things that gave me advantages once I started traveling internationally. Um, Different approaches, uh, you know, going into Asia, for example, um, the culture there is um, non-confrontational at times, and they don't really ask questions as aggressively as Americans or Westerners. So you've got to be able to understand how to build in relative to your pitch and establishing trust uh, and uh, you know the right type of knowledge in terms of what you're communicating so that you can uh, foreshadow or forecaddy their questions in the context of here's the presentation. You may be thinking of this. You may be thinking of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also did some other things relative to as the um, uh, different venues. I started incorporating. It wasn't just me who was selling. Uh, I did teams based selling Uh, I owned the P&L of a um, a messaging business in a large billion dollar entity and convinced the CEO that uh, the sales staff wasn't strong enough to sell messaging on their own because they didn't have the right executive level and they didn't have the right experience base they were selling a different service and technology. And so I created a team that was drawn from the product side, the sales side, the finance side, as well as the strategy side. So when we walked into a meeting, first off, we were able to secure long meetings, like two hour meetings. Um, You know, it's it's fascinating. One of the sidebar lessons I had was sometimes I left uh, Washington, D.C., which is where we were based on a two week trip. And the first week of the first week of the trip was completely unscheduled at that point. I was willing to do that primarily because I knew that the people that I were meeting with, once they knew that I was traveling 8,000 miles and about 15 hours of flight time, nobody denied me a meeting. I was there. They were willing to at least have the meeting. And so from there, we were able to build that out. Different type of technique.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what. One of the things I wanted to ask you—the know, the having, first
1: few times were a little shaky, I assure you—but you know, after the, right. the second time, I'm like, you know, this is an interesting dynamic. Nobody is saying no now that I'm in country, so.
0: So that's so. I want to stay on that for a minute. Sure. So. Right. Book to travel. No idea you're coming. No preface, nothing. Hey, I just happened to be here seeing another client.
1: Well, yeah, we had already set. you know, the, we just hadn't gotten to the definitive timing. And that's also an aspect of different cultures and how business is done, you know, whether it's in Latin America or Asia or in Europe or in the US. So timeliness, let's call it that.
0: So it was more of a, hey, we we're, we're, we're let's try to meet sometime in this week. And then you kind yeah. of just said, yeah, I'll be there and sh- showed up on Monday. When are we meeting? Type deal. Yeah,
1: exactly. It, you know, in the context of me going through the, the usual systematic uh, pre-selling routine of let's have a meeting. I think there's a mutual utility. Here's why. Here's what I'd like to talk to you about. Um, and then, you know, the night before the the flight, still no confirmation of a time. But once I arrived in country, as I say, and started sending out emails like, yeah, sure, of course, uh, let's have lunch next, you know, Tuesday or the, that was the following day, whatever it might be. So it was an interesting lesson learned. So, It's bold. I like it. Uh, fortune favors the audacious, so.
0: Right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Grind Sell Elevate. This is Ty. I'm excited to announce to you a new partnership I've made with Design Hill Marketplaces. If you're unfamiliar with Design Hill, it's a great place and business where you can go link up with creatives. So if you're looking to have a logo done, a website built, a landing page built, a funnel built, you need a t-shirt design, if you're part of a nonprofit and you've got an upcoming contest where you've got upcoming raffle to be able to help you with creative ideas. Again, whether that's designing a t-shirt, towels, giveaways, whatever it is, you can go link up with the creative at designhill.com. So it's a wonderful marketplace for all the Grind, Sell, Elevate listeners. They're giving all kinds of different discounts, which you can find in the show notes. I believe that there's three. Um, So make sure you go check out. They also are great. They do monthly events. I've been a part of too, where you can get education on marketing, podcasting, logo, uh, business tips, selling tips, uh, incredible all in one stop shop for anything. When it comes to design design hill is the marketplace you need to go check out. And again, if you're a listener of grind, sell, elevate, you get special exclusive discounts. You can't find anywhere else. So scroll down to the notes. If you're listening to this, um, on a podcast and take advantage of getting a discount on your first logo website or landing page. I uh, Do you think that that would be um, a tactic that could still be served today, even like in a local market? Um, I, mean, I know it's hard. I guess it's maybe a terrible question because of COVID. But, you know, I'm always interested. I've never really done that type of approach where I've, I've dropped in. You know, I've yeah. always been really heavy on the phones. Uh, so I'm you know, really taking that
1: approach. certainly depends on, um, in a B2B context, uh, how big the deal is. Uh, the complexity of the sale, uh, keep in mind, I was not coming in and let, let's say parachuting in with a bayonet, bayonet between my teeth and recognize that I was going to uh, overturn you know, the, uh, the processes in a mobile network operator. I was involved in sales cycles that lasted anywhere from nine months to a year and a half. Um, so that was another factor in all of this. Um, showing up is important. I once closed a deal with the Singaporean operator named Singtel. And Singtel is like the seventh largest mobile or seventh largest telecommunications group in the world. Um, And this was early on in this startup, you know, probably within about the first nine months of being there. I think they were maybe my fourth customer. And I had been going to Singapore about every month and going through Asia about every month. And every time I always returned to the same guy to have a conversation if it was just a half an hour. It wasn't the only guy that I was talking to there, but even just for that. And when he finally closed the deal with me, he was a vice president, very senior guy. I asked him, okay, so tell me why you chose us. He's like, well, that's simple. You're here. Hmm. You were here. You showed up. You may be in a startup, but then if you're in a startup and you're flying here and you're here every six weeks or so, that tells me something not only in terms of your personal commitment, but also the financial commitment and the financial status of your company. All of your competitors were always having conversations with me over the phone, mm. but you were here. And that's why, you know, and he is like, you know, you and I have had, uh, been able to establish a great rapport. And to this day, he's still a good friend of mine. He's no longer in the telecom space, but that kind of um, indicates, you know, as I used to say in another context in an international um, company, if you want to know you've got to go mm. you know the micro expressions as you once expressed it in one of your earlier podcasts that i was listening to uh, of human to human interaction um, that's really important especially when you start talking about things like um, the space that i'm in which is the big impact in terms of how a mobile network operator or verizon and at t or even small ones like csl and hong kong etc um when they start looking at a technological solution that has a direct impact on the convenience of their customers, there's a lot of filtering that goes on. It's just not one decision maker. It's a matrix of decision makers that you've got to be able to navigate through and really demonstrate a a multiple layered value proposition.
0: I guess that would bring me to a a great question for those people in the B2B space to have them more of a complex, multiple influencers, decision makers. When you start looking at an opportunity like that one, you're a great example you were just talking about. You, know, you built great rapport with that gentleman, went to go see him obviously very consistently. Um, and I know that because in insurance, I've got people, they'll tell me over the phone, I'm not doing business Absolutely. with you until you do okay. and you shake my hand. So that makes, a lot, that makes a lot of sense. But how do you start to identify? Do you build out an org chart and then, strategically kind of go at this person, that person, and talk a little bit about how you weave that in.
1: Yeah, when I walked into the startup, um, the process really wasn't that much different. Again, I drew upon an experience base in my first career. (laughs) My first career was in the political and policy world, and I spent Mm -hmm. a little over 10 years in it, and part of that was running political campaigns. And when you're running a political campaign uh, you know i was a campaign manager uh in a senate race uh congressional race and even a regional political director for a presidential campaign you start looking at the environment and you start figuring okay what's the value proposition which is very conceptual it's not concrete when you start talking about politics so i played the same type of approach and i also uh, because of the training because of my interests I've done a fair amount of reading uh, in areas like history, uh, warfare, um, you know, World War II battles, things of that nature. And you started having an understanding of what a campaign looks like and what war fighting looks like. And warfighting can be translated into selling. And so in this regard, we looked at the whole world. Uh, again, I had a, a knowledge base about the value proposition as well as the, uh, the market terrain, if you will. And so out of 1,100 mobile network operators around the world, I narrowed it down to roughly um, tier one, tier two, tier three, which is sky- scale. It was also about countries and countries not only in their demographic profile, which was really keen to us because messaging was a new phenomenon back then. Who was utilizing messaging primarily? Well, in most technologies, either goes to like road warriors or kids. And in my Mm -hmm. case, we were looking at the kids. So I started, for example, at the time, in the early 2000s, the Philippines was one of the largest messaging producers in the world, with over 300 messages per user per day. Today, that's over 1,000 plus. You know, it's just because of the nature of the, uh, the messaging phenomenon. So I started ranking that in terms of scale, market opportunity, and then started distilling it down to what I threw in my subjective analysis as to which is more innovative you know are they market leaders are they followers are they trying to make a, a a jump as they try to compete with their larger players and you know and you had it back then about three to five operators in most countries uh, you know it settled to the rule of threes eventually as it is today in most markets um and so we, you know, I, I termed, created this, this term called pr- parallel priorities. So by the time that I got to 1,100, I got it down to about 125. And then those 125, I narrowed to about another 50 and engaged all those 50 on a range, on a broad engagement. And where I started to get traction, that's when I started throwing away the ones that I didn't get traction on and focus on the ones that I did. And that became the low hanging fruit uh and then we were lucky enough the strategy played out Uh, our first international customer was in the uk uh, which was o2 uk Um, second customer was the filipino operator called globe and then i started playing off against each other in the sense that we've got this new solution i competed have uh, globe and um, smart, the two of those, you know, they were both, I was meeting with both of them in the same week and saying, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, if you sign up with me, I'll give a, uh, you a six month run rate relative to a non-compete. So we won't be selling this on to your competitor, whoever's first. And, um, one came first and the other was six months later. So.
0: Interesting. How important do you think it is for salespeople to identify, some social proof with talking about other people they're working with within the same vertical. I think sometimes people tend not to do that. It's one of my favorite things to do is to tell that I'm working with their competitor.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it, focuses, focuses their attention. I also knew that it was a high, it was a hyper competitive market. So, and I was also okay. being transparent with them as to look, mm-hmm. you know, this is what they're asking for. So I, from my perspective, being a, um, Uh, a hungry startup provider and executive in a hungry startup you know we've got to be able to make our decisions and this is one of them Uh, that doesn't mean we're not interested in you it's just that this is what's being asked of us and we we played a a few other games in terms of it wasn't completely uh shut down and unavailable um you know once they finally stepped up um i then started giving the, the other one as to okay if you give me a longer contract time i'll give you a lower price So you have the advantage of first to market, but there's also a cost in first to market, especially if you're going to be excluding your competitor. Right. Okay. And then at the same time, also extending an olive branch in the context of, look, I'm very interested in working with you. Here's how we can work with you and provide a different type of commercial model. That way, nobody feels uh, neglected. Nobody feels favored. uh, And it's, you know, you're, you're still serving the market as best you can, given those dynamics. Yeah, makes it's a little sleight of hand.
0: Yeah, well, right. I mean, sometimes it's uh, my my earliest uh, lesson working at Enterprise Rent a Car was all about perception. Uh, I sure. I didn't. It, that was that was such a key takeaway from having worked there was understanding. You know, uh, we have and this is a terrible analogy, but we would have you know cars online listed for seventeen dollars, and I would walk out to the lot and someone didn't have a reservation. I know they're $17 online. They don't know. I say, hey, we're running a special today. Um, you know, we've got – I know that you said you wanted a small compact car, but I've got the convertible Mustang for 50% off for 150 bucks a day. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's that type of stuff, and they think they're getting a deal. And, you know, if we looked at the margins, what we thought, what they could have booked online, it was a staggering difference. Yeah. Um, but people feel like they got a deal. And exactly. They went away happy. And-
1: and that's what it all comes down to especially in the context of being able to establish that relationship um you know between buyer and seller uh you know i'm also very much a believer of um the space that I'm in, uh, it's not really you know, like selling cars, but I sold stereos like you sell cars or you rented cars very similarly in the context of you adjust to the market, you adjust to the individual. And if you can read them correctly, you might be able to give them a great opportunity based on more of an emotional appeal mm-hmm. as opposed to a financial appeal. And not everybody buys just purely on finance. If that was, well, you know, you and I wouldn't have jobs because robots would be doing this.
0: Right. Sorry. What do they say? People uh, buy with emotion and justify with
1: logic. That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. Um, I know we've only got a, a few minutes uh, kind of left, Paul. I did want to ask you. Um, I know that you're well read. Um, I can and I can see it. Well, I don't those, know
1: about that, but I think there's a couple <laughs> like books behind
0: you. A couple books uh, behind yeah. you.
1: Yeah. And those are bookshelves. Those aren't a big stack, but yes. (laughs) Okay,
0: good. I was like, I was impressed because I thought they were stacks. I was like, that's... uh, No, no. No, no, That's cool. Um, Any any books that have been influential either on... I knew
1: this Uh, question was coming. Yeah. Startups, Um,
0: sales, leadership.
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, on the sales piece, I, I know you talk a lot about systems and doctrine if you want to call that's how i would call it you know sales Mm -hmm. doctrine Um, years ago i went through a strategic selling training program uh, which was really good and uh, i've also read um, challenger sale which also appealed Mm -hmm. to me because it's highly analytical it's counterintuitive it's not the usual relationship Type stuff. Um, I'm really good in the living room, like Jerry Maguire might say, but that's not how I play. What I do, uh, you know, I sit down with spreadsheets and kind of point out, here's the opportunity and here's how the upside, you know, meaning a revenue opportunity, especially in a B2B context. So those two kind of stand out. But then, you know, I was thinking about back to selling stereos, and I remember, believe it or not, I went through a two-week sales training program. And it was all based on Tom Hopkins, you know and Tom Hopkins was this sales guru in the '80s. And I remember one, the one thing I remember from that. This is now, mind you, 30 plus years ago for me. Um, I'm in my early 50s, and um, I remember "Tell, Don't Sell." And you know there was another one, idly enough, no one limits your growth but you. Uh, and so those are the kind of the books. But outside the sales realm one of the things that um, i've used especially in technology and the um, the constant change relative to technology is uh, clayton christensen uh, the innovators dilemma which breaks down how disruptive Adjacent players come into a market and turn it completely around and take out the incumbents mm. and why that happens and It talks about the behavior of the incumbents who are focused on their performance engine as well as the behavior and the posture of the disruptors and uh, christensen's uh, passed away this year, I believe or last year he was a, a professor at Harvard Business School. he wrote about six or eight books. Another one is called the innovator's DNA, which is you don't need to, this is not how you're born. Here's the structure that you can learn so you can start identifying innovation opportunities. Uh, and so those are probably the ones that I would uh, throw out there.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you. Um,
1: oh, and also, I took one of your recommendations, which was virtual selling. Ooh. So I bought that yesterday. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, after listening to your podcast. So, you know, to your audience, you should pick that up as well. I mean, I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, this would be good, but it's so timely. So
0: It is. Yeah, it's really relevant. I mean, Jeb wrote it um, during the pandemic you know, yeah. to, to try to help people. So it was an excellent book. My team that I was managing last year uh, had, a, I would say that and the challenger sale were the two most impactful books that we read last year um, as, as a team. And uh, Paul, where can people connect with you? Um, if they want to find out more about what you do and or utilize you.
1: Yeah, so Ty, you know, it, back to your audience, if you're a leader of an innovative technology company who's looking to be able to get to the next level and how to be able to pursue that relative to growth, uh revenue growth in terms of sales or commercial growth, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you and I can be reached at p r u p p e r t 888 that's 3 digits in a row at gmail.com or obviously through LinkedIn at paulrrupert.com. I also happen to have a website, which is paulrrupert.com or globalpointview.com.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Paul. All that will be listed in the show notes for everybody. So please go connect with Paul. I have not talked to, um, I don't know, anybody that has his sales experience in 80 different countries um, <laughs> and running the type of operations. I mean, the honestly- nature of the business.
1: Telecommunications me. is global from the start. As, yeah, as I just yeah. put it. Yeah,
0: that's so. true. But uh, Paul, appreciate um, you sharing your experiences with us and information. A uh, bunch of books that I have not read. So that's exciting for me since my other podcast is all on book reviews. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, if you'd
1: is- like, we could have a conversation about some of the books <laughs> I've read behind me. You know, yeah. that's about 20 odd years of that. So, Yeah.
0: Good. Well, thank Good you so stuff. much. I uh, really appreciate your time
1: today, Paul. Thank you, Ty. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for Thanks. the uh, opportunity. Absolutely. Cheers.